G'day friends, my name is Pete Stacey. And I'm Lucy Thorpe, and we'd like to welcome you to our 6pm podcast. Whether you're a regular with us, or this is your first time, it's great to have you here tonight. Uh, tonight Lucy and I are going to be taking us through the service. As you can see, we're practicing our social distancing. Uh, and tonight John Thorpe, our senior minister, is going to be speaking to us, beginning a new series on the book of 1 Peter. It's a great little book, so many really good verses, some favourites for me. It's like chapter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. I love that phrase, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Uh, or chapter 2 verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into this wonderful light. Or chapter 4 verse 10, each one should use whatever gift they have received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in all its various forms. Uh, or chapter 5 verse 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's take a moment to thank God for his promises as we begin tonight. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that because of Jesus, we have a living hope. Please bless our time together now that we may honour you in how we respond. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well friends, we have a lot to thank God for and we're going to do that in song. Let's sing together 10,000 Reasons.
draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise on Well, it's so good to sing together, isn't it? Even if we can't be together uh, because of these uncertain, uh, such different times, um, it's affected our lives in all kinds of ways. Some people are working longer and harder than normal. Others have uh, had to take forced holidays or reduced hours. Some have lost their jobs altogether. Um, and some are just locked up at home and getting quite bored and frustrated. Uh, so, Lucy, let me ask you, uh, what changes and challenges have you had to face because of the coronavirus? Uh, well, this year actually I was supposed to go to London to nanny, so, but obviously because of the virus I was unable to fly out of the country, so I'm kind of just trying to figure out what I want to do for the rest of the year. Yeah, so I know that next year you're going to be starting at uni, you can't jump straight into that? Uh, no, unfortunately I can't because the course I want to do only does um, an intake at the start of the year, so I have to wait to start uni. Yeah, wow, that's, that's tough, um, especially when a lot of the other friends are like buried in uni at, online at home. Um, how are you kind of dealing with that? Uh, well, my family's been really great. They've been really supportive, really encouraging. Uh, we've been able to spend lots of time at home as family doing all sorts of fun activities while also, you know, getting out to the beach and doing lots of exercise. Uh, but I think the most important thing for me at the moment has just been to stay really positive. Um, and to keep talking to my friends and keep interacting with people um, and also reading my Bible and really developing my understanding of it. Yeah, so it sounds like you're on a real adventure of faith with God at the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Friends, we're going to spend some time praying in a moment, um, but let me ask you, Lucy, how can we be praying for you? Uh, yeah, so pray that I'll find a job. Uh, and also pray that I'll be able to use this time to really develop my faith and yeah, grow uh, yeah, and deepen my understanding of the Bible. 
Awesome. Well, friends, let's let's pray now. Ask you to join with uh, with us at home, um, and I'm going to begin by praying for Lucy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a gracious and compassionate God, that you're slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Thank you that because you care for us, we can cast all our anxieties upon you. Thank you that you've promised never to leave nor forsake all who trust in you. Thank you for your promise to work all things for the good of those who love you. Father, please give Lucy great comfort and confidence in you and your promises to her. Please fill her with your spirit and enable her to continue to look to you for strength and guidance each and every day. Amen. Almighty Father, we pray that in this time of uncertainty that you will help us to grow in our knowledge and understanding of you. We pray that as we spend more time at home that you will fill us with your love, patience and generosity so that we may love our families and our neighbours well. Amen. Dear Father, we pray that all members of our church family will learn to speak in a manner that honours your name in the home, at school, at work, and in our leisure activities. In Proverbs 15, 1, you say, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And again in Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Please help us to be wise and gracious with our words, to speak the truth in love, to speak in a manner worthy of Christ. Amen. God, we pray for those who are struggling in this time. We pray for those who are sick, in hospital, isolated, recovering, or grieving, or unemployed. We pray that your hands will be over them and that they might find comfort in you. We also pray those who are facing financial or relationship, relational troubles, that you will give them your wisdom and love. Amen. Dear Lord God, thank you for the many connect groups in our church. As many of them begin again this week, please help the leaders to be wise, warm and welcoming in their manner. And please help us all to carve out the time to log in and encourage each other in that time together. I pray too that those who are not yet in a group will see the great value of it and give it a go. Thanks too for encouraging feedback from the weekly podcasts. Please use them to touch the hearts and shape the lives and strengthen the faith of all our church members and many more in the community as well. In Jesus' name, Amen. We pray for our mission partners, the Forest in Jordan. We pray that Mal, Carissa, Aidan, Sasha and Toby will look to you in this time of trial and that they will be able to glorify you in what they say and do. Amen. And Father, as we seek to share the good news about Jesus with our family, our neighbours, our colleagues and friends, please help us to be wise in the way we act towards those who do not yet know you. Help us to make the most of every opportunity. May our conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how to answer everyone. Amen. Hi, it's Karen Binstadt. Today we have two short Bible readings. The first reading comes from John 21 and we're starting at verse 12. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came 
took the bread and gave it to them. They did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Our second reading comes from 1 Peter and we start at the beginning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered through the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Today we're only looking at a handful of words from the Apostle Peter, but there's a lot in them. And so let's pray that God might guide our time together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've inspired Peter to write this letter so that we might know you better. We pray as we reflect on this passage now that your spirit might help us to see the things that we need to see. Amen. If you've ever travelled overseas, you'll know that it's easier to fit in in some cultures compared to others. So, for example, if I went across to England, I think I'd fit in pretty well. You know, I look like a you know, majority of the population. I speak the language. I know the culture. They like faulty towers. I like faulty towers. You know, I reckon I would do okay. But if I went across to, say, France, I think things would be a little more difficult. You know, I can fit in in terms of my appearance, but clearly, as soon as I need to speak and order a croissant or something like that, it's going to be obvious that I'm really not French. And then there are other cultures where we don't fit in, you know, right from the moment we arrive. You know, a couple of years ago, our family uh, were in Tanzania, in a place called Masoma, visiting uh, some missionaries there and doing some training. And as we walked through the, the marketplace, it was completely obvious that we are foreigners in a foreign place. But what about for us now, as Christians, as we live in our culture? You know, how do we see ourselves? You know, do we see ourselves as just like everyone else, with the same hopes and aspirations? Or perhaps someone could only tell that we're a Christian if they ask you know, very specific questions about what we believe. Or perhaps you see yourself as standing out as very different. And if so, how do you feel about that? Do you feel you know, confident and courageous or do you feel fearful and vulnerable? As Peter writes this letter, he's writing to a group of Christians who are living like they are foreigners in the world. 
And he wants to say to them, you know, whatever, whatever happens, whatever your circumstances, whatever trials come, you can be confident about who you are in Christ and the hope that you have. And so today, as we look at this letter, let's uh, have a look at these opening words. So it's written by the Apostle Peter. And the title Apostle is important because it speaks to his authority. So Peter was with Jesus for his entire ministry. He was there at the crucifixion. He was there at the resurrection. Uh, he was there at the ascension. And now he's been commissioned by Jesus to go and tell other people about the good news and the salvation that we can have. And he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the book of Acts puts it like this. It says, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we read more about Peter in the Gospel accounts than any of the other apostles. So we know he was a leader amongst his peers. We know he was insightful. He was the first one to recognise that Jesus was the promised Messiah. But he also had a habit of saying just the wrong thing at just the wrong time. So he recognises Jesus is the Messiah and then he tries to rebuke Jesus when he teaches them that he must suffer and die. And so in turn, Jesus then turns around and rebukes Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, which is a pretty devastating rebuke. But we also know that he was committed to Jesus. And so at the Last Supper, you know, Peter says to him, even if I had to die with you, I will never disown you. And yet a few hours later, Peter will disown Jesus three times. But we also know that Peter is restored, you know, sitting around a fire on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the Gospel of John recalls these words. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. And that's exactly what he's doing in this letter. So continuing in verse 1. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. So the region he's talking about is what we know as modern northern Turkey, and it was part of the Roman Empire. But we don't really know how Christians came to be living in that area. Certainly years earlier, people from that region were there in Jerusalem when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost. And perhaps they'd heard it from Paul uh, on his missionary journeys as he travelled further south, and then they took that message home with them. His audience is predominantly Gentile, which means they're not Jewish. But the language of the book has lots of, sort of Jewish references and allusions and lots of connections to God's promises to Israel. And I think Peter does that because he wants their story to connect with God's bigger story. And in fact, their experience now is everything that was God was promising in the Old Testament. So they're not Jewish. But they're also not poor cousins. So they're not like sort of the dog under the table licking up the scraps or the hired help who gets the leftovers in the kitchen. They have a rightful place at the table. But it's not because of anything they have done or because they are good or righteous or because of their heritage. It's simply because God is gracious and God chooses to save people for himself. And so in our passage, they are God's elect. And then continuing in verse 2, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, God's foreknowledge isn't simply sort of, you know, jumping to the back of the book and reading the last page and knowing the ending. 
Uh, God, right from the beginning, chooses who he is going to save. And certainly we read Jesus saying something very similar in the book of John. So this is what he says there. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. We are so thankful for God's mercy that he would choose to save anyone. And certainly, if you're a Christian, then that's incredibly humbling because we know it's so completely undeserved. But it also raises for us some awkward questions. If God chooses, then why does God hold us responsible for our actions or our inactions? And is it really fair that God would choose to save some but not save others? And unfortunately, the Bible doesn't give us a convenient answer to those questions. But we can certainly say something. Firstly, I think when we ask those types of questions, we need to be careful not to come to God as his accuser, demanding that he justify himself. I think if we do that, then we've lost a sense of perspective about who we are and who God is. Uh, Paul puts it like this in his letter to the Romans. But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? So we need to approach God with a sense of humility. Secondly, some Christians try to get around this awkwardness of God choosing by emphasising that God is still sovereign, he's all-powerful, but he chooses to restrain his power so that we can have free will. And that's kind of convenient because it puts the responsibility on us. But it means that God is no longer in control. So he can certainly cheer for us uh, from the sideline. He can you know, push and nudge us in the right direction. But we're in control of our own destiny. And certainly that isn't the picture that we get in the Bible. Uh, God might choose to restrain his power in any given situation. Uh, we have responsibility for our good choices and our bad choices. But ultimately, God will always fulfill his plans according to his will. And so one example of that was Joseph when he talks to his brothers in Egypt. And this is what he says to them. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Thirdly, the Bible has no problem in affirming God's sovereignty and our responsibility as two sides of the same reality. So from our perspective, we have a responsibility to recognise that Jesus is Lord and to repent and to turn back and to follow him. But we also recognise that God is the one behind helping us to see that that is true. And so Charles Spurgeon, a very famous preacher in London in the 1800s, said this about how he came to know Christ. One night when I was sitting in the house of God, I was not thinking much about the preacher's sermon, for I did not believe it. The thought struck me. How did you come to be a Christian? I sought the Lord. But how did you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, thought I. But then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. How came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? Then in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all. 
Lastly, we should be thankful and relieved that being saved isn't simply left to our own capacity to see the truth or, or to do the right thing. If that was true, then how would anyone ever be saved? Now, God doesn't choose people simply because we are good and lovable. And it's not like we choose a puppy where we go to the pet shop and we buy the most cute and lovable puppy there. You know, he chooses people who are sinful, people who are vulnerable. But he also chooses people who look like they've got it all. And he works through the people around them and the circumstances of life and he works through his word to help them to see a better reality. One where we have a certain hope and a secure future. One where we can rejoice even when we are living in times of hardship. And so we should be thankful that God elects and it's not simply left up to us to recognise that Jesus is the one who saves. And God the Father makes it all happen through his spirit. So continuing in verse 2. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. Sanctifying means to be set apart. So in this case, we are set apart to be obedient to Christ. And obedience to Christ is listening to him when he says that we need to repent. And listening when he says, this is how you are to live following me. And being sprinkled with his blood is actually a reference to the Old Testament. And so if you're a Jewish person, you'd hear these words and it would remind you of the sacrificial system. You know, where a bull was sacrificed and the blood was sprinkled as a substitute for the sins of the people. And of course, for us, Jesus dies on the cross as a substitute for us. But it also reminded the people of God's covenant to Israel. So in Exodus, Moses stands before the people and he sprinkles blood on them. And it's a, a statement about God's commitment to them, that God is promising to be faithful to them and they are promising to be faithful to God. Now, that's a serious commitment. That's the commitment that we have when we come to Christ. And so we need to take that commitment seriously. So we're thankful that God elects and that the Spirit sanctifies, but it also means that we now live as aliens in the world. You know, as Peter writes to these people, they're not literal exiles. They haven't been displaced from their home, but they are living as foreigners. So their worldview, their values, their allegiance, all stands out very awkwardly in the context of the culture around them. You know, it's a little bit like maybe you know, walking through that marketplace in Masoma. You know, we all want to fit in. We all want friends. Uh, we all want to be popular in our culture. But certainly as Christians, we've got to come to terms with the reality that we no longer fit in to the world around us. You know, once upon a time, our culture, our Western culture, was largely Christianised. And certainly Christian values shaped our Australian culture. But things are shifting very quickly. And we've become more pluralistic in our culture and more diverse. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, that people are living with different ideas and it's okay to try to convince one another of a different view. And it gives us an opportunity to share our faith with people from all over the world. And, and it's okay to have a different view. So we can come to a point of still liking someone, even though we might disagree with them quite profoundly. I remember one time I was uh, in a taxi uh, uh, travelling somewhere and the driver was a Muslim and as he asked me you know, what I did for, for work I told him I was a Christian and uh, that got us into a conversation about you know, what faith meant to us and so he was trying to convince me about why I was wrong to be a Christian and why I should be a Muslim and I was sharing with him what it meant for me to be a follower of Jesus. 
And at the end of the conversation, I, we didn't convince each other, I don't think, but we shook hands and we left, you know, went on our way. And I think that's what tolerance should look like. It's not that we don't hold ideas firmly or passionately, but we try to convince people rather than coerce people. But I think our culture is now moving to a different place where there are right views and wrong views. But of course, there's a little bit of contention about what the right views are and the wrong views. And so that creates quite a polarised culture. And so people sort of digging their trenches and joining teams and sort of lobbing you know, grenades at anyone who they feel have got it wrong. I think this picture uh, of Ellen DeGeneres and George W. Bush sort of captures the mood of our culture at the moment. So in this picture, uh, they're sharing a moment and having a conversation at a football match. And when that photo came up on social media, people were outraged. You know, how could someone like you know, Ellen DeGeneres, a, a gay liberal talk show host, you know, be friendly to George W. Bush, you know, a Republican ex-president? And she had to defend herself for even you know, having a civil conversation with someone whose views were so different to her own. The response to that interaction has nothing to do with being Christian, but it does say something about the mood of our culture at the moment. And if we're completely honest, we do need to accept and recognise that as Christians, that we've contributed our own fair share of bad behaviour in lobbing grenades. And I think one of the challenges of this letter is how do we live as Christians, honouring Christ and loving the community around us, without endorsing and embracing values and a worldview that is incompatible with our obedience to Christ. And I think it starts with being confident about who we are in Christ and being confident that God is for us. And because of what God has done, Peter concludes his greeting with these words of encouragement. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. When we know God's grace, we know God's peace. We will still sin. We will still let people down. We will still feel vulnerable and tempted by the world. But in all of that, we know that our relationship with God is secure. We are forgiven. And so whatever life brings, whatever persecution comes, we should be confident about who we are in Christ. And with that comes peace. And so we should be able to say to one another those same words. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Amen. Last week, several families answered two questions. Firstly, what have they been doing in this time of isolation and lockdown? And secondly, how have they been encouraging each other in their knowledge and love for Jesus? So, here are some more responses. Hi everyone, my name's Libby Monroe, and over the holidays in isolation, I've been getting to know my puppets a little bit better. This is Jasmine. Hi everyone, how are you going? Well, Jasmine, We've been doing a lot of puppet shows at the moment, haven't we? Uh-huh. And it's been helping us to learn more about Jesus. And it's really given me time to focus on the really important message of the gospel. See ya! If you'd like to see some of Libby's puppet shows, have a look at the links in the comments below or go to our members page. I've just got to keep watching and we just had a bit of father and son in how in ISO bonding time and um, you jump. we've got to play together here and jump and move at the same time so jump and Tom you've grown heaps you're going to be the tallest in the family soon 
Yay, I guess. <laughs> I find the uh, Sunday podcasts really fantastic. It's a uh, great way to uh, celebrate our faith, hour or half hour of, um, of uh, good faith connection between the family. And yeah. we'll always have a discussion group after it as well. Yeah. Started by pulling an old piano part, which is both painful yet fun. Go! <laughs> Action! <laughs> Charlie's been crafting. What am I doing? Uh, I've enjoyed, as a family, reading a, a verse and talking about it at dinner. I've enjoyed praying together as a family. I've liked doing youth group online. And I've liked doing church online. I've been learning how to trust God more at this time. Thanks for joining us tonight. We've heard lots of encouragement and lots of challenges. Uh, we are God's chosen people and he has called us to be different in the world, but for all the best reasons. This week, many of our connect groups are going to be starting up again. If you're not already in a connect group, now's a great time uh, as we begin a new series, now's a great time to join one. And it's never been easier because you can join from the comfort of your own home via Zoom. Uh, so get in touch with us and we can find a group that will be just right for you. And if you'd like to know a bit more about the Christian faith, we're about to do a five-week course called the Life Course. Five Tuesday nights starting this week, uh, exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This term, we're going to be having a memory verse. It's 1 Peter 2.9, so look it up. And we want you to have some fun learning it. So send us a cool or creative video um, of the ways that you've been mem memorizing this verse. All right, so what are some possibilities? Uh, you could do a craft or an animation or a song. The sky's the limit. Maybe a skywriter in the sky. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, next week, Peter says, we can have something worth more value than pure gold. What is it? We'll find out next week. So before you go, take a moment to encourage each other in the comments below. What's one thing that's really challenged you tonight from tonight's Bible talk? Perhaps an attitude or an action? Maybe start a new habit or break an old one. Give us a thumbs up and let us know that you're here. We'll see you next week. Bye.